Advent on Air, the science of type 2 inflammation on the go. Welcome to Advent on Air, a podcast featuring conversations between leading experts on the science of type 2 inflammation. Today's episode features a conversation between esteemed pulmonologist and allergist Professor Klaus Rabe and renowned dermatologist and allergist Professor Stefan Weitinger, who would explore what connects type 2 inflammatory diseases in different organ systems, such as the skin, upper and lower airways, and the esophagus, and how this knowledge can help us provide better care for these patients. My name is Stefan Weidinger. I'm a dermatologist, allergologist, and immunologist, and I'm currently chair and director of the Department of Dermatology and Allergy at the University Hospital uh, of Schleswig-Holstein in Kiel. I have a long-standing interest in inflammatory and allergic skin diseases, in particular atopic dermatitis. And like uh, Professor Rabe, I'm one of the principal investigators in our excellence cluster uh, on inflammatory barrier diseases here in Schleswig-Holstein. And my name is Klaus Rabe. I'm a pulmonologist and allergist. Um, I'm the director of a large hospital, which is called Großhansdorf, outside Hamburg. And my academic home is the name um, University of Stefan Weidinger. It was mentioned we share our interest as PIs at the Excellence Cluster that is, in, in fact, very much related to the topic of today. Klaus, to start us off, what do you think are shared and common elements that connect type 2 inflammatory diseases such as atopic dermatitis and prurigonodularis in the skin, asthma in the lungs, chronic rhinosinusitis with nasal polyps in the nasal passage, and eosinophilic esophagitis in the gastrointestinal tract? This is a, a whole range of diseases that you just mentioned. So if I think about it, what is the common ground the common ground seems to be that they are surface organ, isn't it? This is something which is the communication area and surface uh, to the outside world. Uh, these surfaces speak a common language. And the common language is something that is shared by the diseases that seem to be so very different. I agree, Klaus. So I think it's important to keep in mind that these organs are not just passive barrier, defensive barrier organs, they are also highly active, immunologically active. So type 2 immunity, for example, at the barrier originally uh, serves a protective role against pathogens. For example, it's important to remove parasites like worms through the itch that is elicited and the resulting scratching action, and then later promote tissue repair and wound healing. But over the time, uh, in some individuals, uh, has evolved to be dysregulated and then drive uh, diseases. Uh, in some individuals, and in particular in the absence of the target parasites, uh, which can usually downregulate immune response, this immunity has become chronically dysregulated and then leads to various symptoms at different epithelial organs, such as itch, for example, or fibrosis in the skin. And it's, it's a popular hypothesis that, that uh, the absence uh, of uh, parasites in modern societies has given rise to, to the prevalence of uh, atopic uh, diseases uh, and an increasing dysregulation of type 2 immunity. It's, it's not quite clear if this hypothesis is true, but 
that. Uh, as you know, it's, it's a common observation uh, that over the past decades, uh, and in particular in highly developed societies, we have seen uh, this increased prevalence of type 2 driven diseases. Uh, and these diseases are linked uh, by this dysregulated immune response that predominantly happens at barrier tissues. What seems to be a common theme, which I find very interesting, is that IL-4 and IL-13, acting through the, through the same sort of docking, if you want, um, are so important for these different diseases. And that is true for, for asthma and, and that is called for chronic rhinosinusitis in, in, in my area. Um, and there's also true for diseases that we haven't known that much some years ago, which is eosinophilic oesophagitis, which was a which was not relevant to me 10 years ago, I have to say that. It came much more into the, our, our focus when we understood what the commonalities of the inflammation was. And you, meant, you mentioned these things like itch and neuronal dysregulation. I wouldn't have anticipated um, some years ago how common some of these mechanisms are and how close it brought us together at different disciplines speaking the same language. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that uh, itch is, is one expression of neuronal activation. I'm not sure if, if there is itch of the lung, but probably there is something analogous. Probably we call it cough or we call it airway hyperresponsiveness. Yes, and as you mentioned before, so, so some diseases uh, we, we know better. So for atopic dermatitis, it's quite obvious uh, that, that barrier dysfunction driven and mediated by type 2 inflammation is important for the perpetuation and chronification of the disease. But there are other diseases that only recently came into our focus, such as pruriginodularis, where we now in the meantime know uh, that comparable mechanisms uh, are active there and that it's also type 2 inflammation that seems to play a role across many diseases. Yeah, but still... But still, with this variability, it is, it is noteworthy, isn't it, that you have some major mechanisms that seem to be so instrumental to all this. I mean, if you look at IL-4, for example, we see this popping up sort of every, everywhere in it. And it is just something also that told us in the development of our concept that you have a, a local phenomenon there is overlap in the mechanisms, but you have then also systemic consequences. And that is probably something which is which the other side of the coin, that by understanding the mechanism locally, we understood the systemic consequences on the other hand. And this has helped us very much to, to come up with, with biomarkers, if you want, because some of the biomarkers are very much discipline-related, eosinophils and IgE, you understand that it is those mechanisms that are locally also effective because type 2 inflammation, IL-4 in this case, would drive the skewing of Th0 cells to a clonal expansion of Th2 cells. These two T cells will then, for example, make an isotype switch of B cells and they produce IgE. So we have, I think, together developed a taste for understanding local disease in its commonality and its different clinical presentation.
Sometimes I think it could also, to some extent, be the other way around. There is a systemic uh, dysregulation that finds its expression at certain organs. So there are actually commonalities, but also what's also differences. And I think we have to understand um, better and more how this type 2 pathophysiology manifests and what's the clinical consequence of this is in the different diseases that we have. There's still a lot to, to understand, not only about the type 2 inflammation in general, but also individual uh, mediators of type 2 inflammation. So, so we know that, that local tissue responses can be driven by both IL-4 and IL-13, for example, uh, and uh, that these cytokines have overlapping functions, but they may also have uh, specific functions. And these functions may depend on the tissue context also. Another example in that context uh, where we seem to be agreeing on is a, is a cellular component such as eosinophils. Um, oh. There we also have um, commonalities, but sort of, you know, different grounds. This is actually very, very clear that if you look at the, 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 the airway guises and look at the people at the upper, upper airways and the nose, there's no question that eosinophil function and numbers and activation state plays a much, much role. I understand from um, atopic dermatitis, this is much less clear. I think you said something very important in, in, in a recent meeting that we both attended. So um, what you said was that our, our ability to block highly specifically certain cytokines uh, also helps us to gain a lot of important insights and to understand better the relative importance of certain cytokines and signaling pathways in certain diseases and maybe even within diseases in patient subgroups. If I move away a little bit from the eosinophil that has sort of, you know, different functional roles that we know about this, I think one of those uh, fascinating schemes is that R4 and R13 both seem to be popping up somewhere in all of these areas. That is that is something which I think is a, mm. is a common theme. It uh, can range from processes of collagen deposition, um, fibrosing, lung disease, Indian airway, um, polyp formation and outcome, even esophageal fibrosis um, could be something that is related to this. And the, the pulmonologist, we've always been looking for R13 to be targeted, goblet cell hyperplasia, mucus production, airway smooth muscle functionality is just something that you would expect to be benefited or be modulated by the cytokines. But it's, it's not only IL-4 and IL-13, I think that are important in, in, in type 2 immunity. Uh, also some other cytokines that are produced as a result of overexpression of IL-4 and IL-13, such as IL-31, for example. IL-31 uh, has an important role in itch uh, of the skin and also neuroimmune signaling in atopic dermatitis, for example, but also parigo nodularis. And as we discussed before, uh, there is now also interest in less well understood uh, uh, clinical manifestations uh, of dysregulated type 2 immunity and neuroimmune interaction with type 2 inflammation. Uh, and these are diseases of the airways and the gastrointestinal tract, but also the skin, by the way. Uh, so we are, we are learning uh, a lot uh, about the role of type 2 immunity and the consequences of dysregulation of type 2 immunity. And if I look at the upper airway, um, if I look at polyps, 
You may think, yes, polyps could be obstructing the nasal passage and thereby you are not smelling that well. But basically, um, there's probably much more to that because you have olfactory receptors that are sitting very high up in the upper airways. And we know it's a very debilitating symptom that individuals have. And we've been notoriously found it difficult to actually sort of do something about this fundamentally. And if you talk about quality of life, if you can't smell, you can't taste. And if you can't taste and smell, eating, smelling, flowers, wine are not being recognized and perceived by, by individuals. But I think the itch, the sense of smell, the cough is just something which is a multidisciplinary area that I would like sort of, you know, to foster exchange more than we do now because it's very much in the patient interest. How, how do you think this pathophysiology and underlying cause of multiple type 2 inflammatory diseases can be translated into clinical practice now when it comes to seeing patients and making a, a shared decision on uh, the management of their disease? I think this is key. I mean, you and I are examples for this. And now we've been doing this for several years. And I would think we need to have a multidisciplinary approach to this. So as in cancer boards, in, in, in boards for chronic diseases, in rheumatology, in IBD, and multidisciplinarity is obviously uh, what we need to have. I think it is extremely obvious that the dermatologists and the pulmonologists have improved their relation uh, because skin and lungs sort of are, are, are very common grounds. Um, I think there is, uh, we mentioned esophageal, uh, esophagitis, so the gastroenterologist uh, will, be, will be in there. So I think with understanding inflammatory types and multidisciplinary, I think that allergists and the role of allergy will be strengthened, strengthened by this. And I think they should also be part of this multidisciplinary approach, which I think you and I embrace. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, and I think uh, this multidisciplinary thinking and approach might also help not only for, for the management of patients, but also to identify uh, patients and make an early diagnosis and initiate the right therapy. Uh, because uh, patients may be seen by different specialties initially, right? Pediatricians or allergists may already often regularly see patients who potentially have a type 2 inflammatory disease. And this could also be an opportunity to identify these patients and to involve other specialties to contribute uh, to the management uh, of these patients. And there are now already disciplines where you wouldn't probably think about in the first place. But chronic disease, chronic itch, chronic cough, chronic whatever is a significant psychosocial burden. And this is also related if you want to inflammation. And I think we would be falling short only to address inflammation and not to address the psychosocial burden for the caregivers, for children. And this all involves talking about children and caregivers, dietitians, people that will actually sort of try to identify the food allergen, the environment, the, the supplement in food, uh, the habits of individuals. I think we are doctors enough to see that outside our immunology, clinical pharmacology world, there are for chronic diseases, for all our disciplines, necessities and, and, and that burden that is related to patients that we should never lose out of the focus. Thank you to our esteemed guests, Klaus Rabe and Stefan Weidinger, for your insights on the shared underlying pathophysiology between different type 2 inflammatory diseases 
and how we as healthcare providers can incorporate a multidisciplinary approach in our own clinical practice to care for our patients. Thank you for listening to Advent On Air, providing the science of type 2 inflammation on the go. If you learned something from this, leave a review and subscribe to Advent On Air to hear new episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and adventprogram.com.